to Channel Chats. I'm your host Charlotte and on this episode of the podcast we will be discussing the British Channel crossings in relation to the functionist push and pull theory by Lee 1966. On today's episode I'm joined by my fellow BA sociology undergraduates Liberty, Olivia and Gregory. Hi I'm Liberty and I will be providing a brief overview of push and pull theory and I will make reference to personal push pull factors in particular. I'm Greg and I will be looking at the critiques of the push-pull theory and analysing the environmental and political factors of border crossings. In addition to this, I will be considering the way the United Kingdom handled the border crossings. I'm Olivia and I will be exploring the push-pull theory in relation to English Channel crossings, further examining the influential cultural factors, highlighting the risks of Channel crossings itself and drawing on recent agreements between France and the UK. Liberty. Can you please define push and pull? Of course. Push and pull theory is one of the most important theories for studying floating population and migration. This theory assesses the particular factors that influence people's migration decisions and processes. Push factors encourage people to leave their points of origin and settle elsewhere, whereas pull factors attract migrants to new areas. A migrant's push and pull influences may depend on their circumstances such as social class, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, age, peer influence and even their disposition. People mostly migrate for either economic, personal, cultural or environmental reasons, which we will discuss in depth later on in the podcast. There are a variety of critiques to the push-pull functionist theory. For example, it is an outdated framework that is still applied to modern social settings. Secondly, although there is a significant amount of asylum applications, very few receive fast responses and they can be waiting for up to a year, and in some cases even longer. In addition to this, the push-pull theory places little emphasis on the agency of migrants themselves, instead portraying them as passive actors who are driven solely by external forces. Finally, the push-pull theory does not adequately address power relations between countries and regions and how these power dynamics can influence migration patterns. However, despite the critiques, Lee's push-pull theory can be deemed applicable to the English Channel crossings as attraction to the UK is considered a pull factor and the perceptions of it as a safe and tolerant country. These beliefs are extremely influential of migrants' decisions to risk the crossing from France to England, trusting that this is their first step to a better life away from anything that pushed them from their origin country. The vote to leave or remain in the 2016 Brexit referendum was strongly influenced by people's attitudes towards immigration. Anti-immigration populism fronted by members such as Nigel Farage of the UKIP party shaped public opinion regarding the European, European migration crisis, causing British voters to become increasingly concerned about the economic and cultural effects of immigration. After the UK departed from the European Union, it made crossing the channel more difficult and dangerous than ever, as new laws such as Stop the Boats or Illegal Migration Bill have made asylum claims for those who travel to the UK in small boats inadmissible. Those who travel in this way will be removed and transported to a third country like Rwanda and banned from returning or claiming citizenship. That's very interesting. What does the government have to say about this? Well, actually, the Home Secretary... Suella Braverman said it has to stop. By bringing in new laws, I am making it absolutely clear that the only route to the UK is a safe and legal route. If you come here illegally, you won't be able to claim asylum or build a life here. This is really quite shocking 
it's clear that the main reason they are introducing this bill is to stop criminal behaviour, such as trafficking, but some fear that the new bill will increase the risk for migrants attempting to cross the channel as they will be forced to take even more dangerous routes. So in terms of push and pull factors, some of the common economic assumptions is that people who migrate to the UK move from areas of low employment to areas of high employment, where there are higher wages, better working conditions, unions, pensions and state welfare. In fact, it is often perceived if the economic conditions are not favourable, it will alter their decision to migrate, which is why the UK labour market has been described as a pull factor by many politicians. Research carried out by Professor Mabin in 2016 found that although economic factors somewhat contribute to some people's decisions to migrate, there is a stronger link to factors such as histories of colonial relations between countries. It's usually the process to apply for the right to work can take years and limit them to jobs where there are occupation shortages. That's really interesting to see how push-pull factors differ. I personally have researched personal push and pull factors, which are individual circumstances or attitudes that influence migration. Personal push factors include migration due to family conflict, gaining independence, personal experiences with racism and marriage. Personal pull factors may include migrating for a better educational experience, moving closer to friends and family, cultural diversity, and being influenced by the media. Boyd concluded that in countries that have a high population of migrants, family-based migration predominates and women are as prevalent as men in legal migration flows. An important factor of family migration is age and gender. For example, a study conducted on Mexican communities concluded that unmarried men with young children are more likely than recently married men to migrate to the United States. Men with children in this study were more likely to migrate to benefit their children more than themselves. This is often reflected in migrants that cross the channel hoping for a better life for their children. Therefore, social ties are an important factor for migration and the Dublin regulation, which no longer applies to the United Kingdom since Brexit is an important policy for family migration. So what is the Dublin regulation? Well, the Dublin Regulation is a European Union legislation which identifies the member state responsible for determining an asylum application through a hierarchy of criteria, including family unity, possession of residence documents or visas, a regular entry or stay and visa waived entry. The Dublin Regulation provided a safer method to seek asylum for migrants crossing the Channel especially for children hoping to reunite with family members who would otherwise have no safe and legal route to reach the United Kingdom. Oh, OK. So do you agree with imposing tougher regulations? That's a good question, Charlotte. I do not agree with imposing tougher regulations. It will not dissuade refugees from crossing the Channel because the majority of migrants are so desperate to escape countries that are war-torn or lack human rights, that they would risk crossing the channel regardless of tougher regulations. Migrants that cross the channel are already willing to risk their lives in hopes of a better one. It is inhumane to criminalise and detain them for this. The United Kingdom puts an emphasis on favouring safe and legal routes. However, there are limited options for asylum seekers to reach the United Kingdom without embarking on dangerous and illegal journeys. I completely agree. 
Additionally, asylum seekers that come to the United Kingdom are not allowed to work until they've been granted refugee status, which means that they are forced to live below the poverty line, are isolated and often receive hate crime. The British government states that they will accept migrants that are legal, which can only be obtained through working or studying. But it's impossible for most asylum seekers fleeing for safety to apply through that method. The British government will only cause more migrants to risk death and use people smugglers. Adding to Liberty's points, the cultural push-pull factors are also significant in the context of the English Channel crossings. The Migration Observatory noted how 63% of non-EU migrants were culturally influenced to move to the UK in the year ending June 2021, including 17% migrating for education alone. Bloch et al. argue that the language, culture and perceptions about what Britain offered in terms of cultural freedom are significantly influential in the decision to make the crossing from a functionalist perspective, as migration is considered to better their well-being, creating a better life. Though I have no personal experience or connections to channel crossings or small boat crossings in general, I can easily understand the attraction towards the UK from the pulling cultural benefits. For example, as I mentioned, receiving a better education is an extremely significant factor. Education can be both valued in a migrant's origin country as a recognisable achievement, while simultaneously increasing prospects to be employed within their destination country. However, Brexit has significantly impacted employment opportunities. Olivia brings up a lot of very interesting points about cultural implications of the push-pull theory. However, there are many environmental factors which can make channel crossings more challenging and dangerous, particularly for those who attempt to make the crossing in small, unseaworthy boats. Timberlake found that throughout 2020, over 8,400 people made their way from northern France to the UK coast. On top of this, the English Channel is one of the busiest shipping lanes in the world, and the presence of large vessels can pose a significant danger to smaller boats. Furthermore, an environmental reason why people might migrate more is due to environmental degradation, such as poor quality of housing and tragic disasters which can lead to misplacement of large groups of people which can impact the channel crossings. An example of an environmental disaster which led to the displacement of people is the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. Although this did not specifically involve channel crossings, it still shows how environmental impacts on migration can be significant. Can we look at this from a political perspective? Of course. The French president, Emmanuel Macron, has called for a deep overhaul of Europe's open border Schengen area including the creation of a proper border force to tighten the control of the zone's external frontiers. The Schengen area is an area comprising of 27 European countries that have officially abolished all passports and all other types of border control at their mutual borders. A case study which shares a lot of environmental implications is the Mediterranean crisis. In recent years, the term has been used to characterise the 2015 refugee crisis where millions of people fled conflicts and instability in the Middle East and North Africa, crossing the Mediterranean Sea in quest of safety and better opportunities in Europe. The crisis placed enormous strain on Mediterranean countries such as Greece, Italy, Spain and Malta as they struggled to manage the influx of people. While it is not directly related to the Mediterranean crisis, there are some similarities in terms of the reasons why people make the journey as well as the challenges and risks involved. Additionally, the mass amounts of people travelling to areas like Greece, Italy and Spain consequently affected the amount of people travelling between France and the UK, with Spain being a popular location for migrants who wish to travel to France in order to get to the UK.
Basil and Byrne examine how migration is politicised. They analyse the shifting politics of belonging and the ways in which migrants are constructed as others who challenge the nation's sense of self. Their article highlights the role of political elites, media and public opinion in changing migration policy and attitudes towards migrants. They further address how the UK's approach to migration reflects broader trends in the politics of identity and belonging, and that this has significant implications for migrants' experiences and prospects of integration. So how do the British and French governments handle channel crossings differently? The French and British governments are in disagreement about whose responsibility the migrants crossing the channel are, leaving many migrants in limbo at the borders with no clear pathway to legalise their status or gain asylum. In a report written by Diane Taylor, a writer for The Guardian, spoke of the dire living conditions in the migrant jungles in Calais, the main port of passage from France to the UK. The article highlights the stories of individuals who have been living in the camps for years and describe the constant threat of violence and eviction that they face. These makeshift camps were home to thousands of migrants trying to access the UK. In 2016, the French government dismantled the camp due to its reported dire conditions and attempted to relocate migrants to reception centres across France. However, years after the jungle has gone, attitudes towards migrants remain hostile and many of the many have once again been forced to settle near Calais. That is interesting. How do you think migrants are exploited? Well, there has been a rise in criminal human trafficking and people smuggling from the camps. In an article written by Geds, distinguishes smuggling as the procurement of illegal entry of a person into a state of which a person is not a national or does not possess resident status for financial or material benefit whereas trafficking involves fraud, coercion, physical or psychological abuse. The government highlighted that these are not permitted routes of entry. According to Taylor, since the Nationality and Borders Act was brought in, survivors are no longer guaranteed support, even if they are recognised as trafficking survivors. Whilst the French and British governments collectively attempt to stop organised crime groups or OCGs and people smugglers, Increasing channel crossings, as Charlotte highlighted, both have differing expectations and responsibilities to follow. The UK specifically pay the French to increase surveillance both on land and sea. The 2018 Santos Treaty was created to build on the 2003 Latouquet Treaty, meaning the British government agreed to a further payment of £44.5 million for fencing, CCTV and other detection technology in Calais and other channel ports. It is possible that the treaty has connections to the 55% of small boats being intercepted by the French authorities in 2022. These interceptions are necessary to prevent the significant dangers attached to channel crossings. So what are the journeys like at sea? The journeys are considerably precarious, as your exemplification of people smugglers depicted, who target vulnerable and desperate migrants, falsely promising successful channel crossings for their own economic benefit. I feel extremely sympathetic towards migrants, especially after hearing these examples, as they risk these illegal crossings for the possibility of a better future, yet their vulnerability is exploited through both the dangers of the small boat crossings themselves and those profiting from these attempts. These journeys are becoming increasingly criminalised as Bosworth highlights that they are sensationalised in the media. Similarly, Jacobs depicts the physical hazards of the channel, the input of OCGs and the villainisation of migrants themselves. ITV interviewed a migrant exploring the story of Ali, who attempted to cross the channel twice. The first time, his boat ran out of fuel, and after a 
Some time on the water, a French coast guard rescued them and brought them back to France. On his second attempt, he managed to, re to reach Kent, risking the journey again for a chance to save his life. Ali's attempt demonstrates the uncertainty of channel crossings, which coincide with the government's ethical implications, as they must decide whether intervention gives false hopes to migrants while consciously deciding whether it will harmfully impact the UK residents, though much of the literature fails to explore these effects. Overton acknowledges migrants' awareness that crossing is very risky for small boats or dinghies, but believes that this is their only chance to successfully cross. Brooks describes how the UK, de UK deployments only have a right to observe, not the power pat to patrol in France. Across the whole journey on French waters, the migrants are observed to gather intelligence and information, to understand the reasoning and history of their crossing, and further prepare to intercept if the boats become at risk. The small possibility of being rescued at sea can be considered a pull factor, as migrants may view this chance to be efficiently cross the Channel and begin their new lives in the UK. When on British territory, the Home Office states, vessels used to facilitate a regular entry by sea to the UK will be able to be seized wherever they are encountered and quickly disposed of. It adds that the Nationality and Borders Bill does not change the government's approach to existing obligations under an international maritime law, including the duty to protect lives at sea. This demonstrates that the Royal Navy, or charities such as the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, help migrants to safely reach land. I would argue, to some extent, that this shows the ethical choice made by the government to protect and rescue these individuals, preventing potentially fatal crossings. In addition to this, the UK government has been chastised for its handling of the problem, with some claiming that it has not done enough to address the core causes of migration and provide assistance to individuals seeking asylum. However, in recent years, the UK government has taken a harsh position on immigration and migration, enacting laws aimed at reducing the number of people arriving in the country. Travis enforces UK handling methods towards migration and discusses the challenges that the UK faces in managing channel crossings and suggests possible areas for future research. These measures include visa limitations for non-EU citizens, tightened border controls and harsher procedures for asylum seekers in the UK. Additionally, there are also political tensions between the UK and France over the issue, with the UK calling on France to do more to prevent migrants from attempting to cross the channel. Although I have not directly been affected by migration, it indirectly affects areas within my day-to-day -day life. For example, migration can impact the job market and the economy of an area. So, Liberty, what's been happening in current affairs? Well, in more recent news, the British government has implemented a policy that will send migrants that arrive in the United Kingdom to Rwanda. Boris Johnson stated that anyone entering the United Kingdom illegally, including those who have arrived illegally since the beginning of January in 2022, may now be relocated to Rwanda. Migrants that may have to relocate to Rwanda will be provided with accommodation, support and the freedom to leave and return to their accommodation. However, migrants will not be able to come back to the United Kingdom to claim asylum and can therefore be separated from family members. This policy reinforces the hostile environment that asylum seekers in the United Kingdom receive. It is a clear example of the United Kingdom's migration externalisation efforts. The Rwanda policy is problematic for many reasons, but most importantly, it breaches international human rights. This is because Rwanda faces human rights violations, including the right to live free from torture, 
and LGBTQ plus persecution. There is also no sufficient evidence for the effectiveness of this policy currently because it is a relatively new policy. To build on this, recently the UK's Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and the French President Emmanuel Macron met and discussed issues of illegal migration across the Channel. In their joint leaders' declaration, they announced that the UK's extra €141 million Euros funding for 2023 to 2024 will increase law enforcement and surveillance to detect crossing attempts sooner. They declare that France and the UK will strengthen joint efforts to tackle the supply chain of equipment that enables dangerous and illegal small boat crossings, with the hope to enhance cooperation at sea to save lives and avoid further tragedies in the Channel. This is significant in English Channel crossings, whilst acknowledging the push-pull theory, as this preventative measure therefore acts to deter the idealistic image of the UK by increasing its hostile approach. Personally, I believe Brexit has been a key contributor to altering public attitudes towards immigration and has acted as a push factor, influencing new policy which criminalises migrants. I think one of the biggest pull factors of the personal and cultural factors attracted people to the UK. So, overall, what do you think are the biggest push and pull factors? Well, I definitely agree with you, Charlotte. Brexit is the biggest push-pull factor. The British asylum policy has altered since Brexit and it has made migration much more difficult, particularly for affected asylum seekers crossing the English Channel for family reconciliation. Overton states that this is because family reunion is only possible if the relative living in the United Kingdom has refugee or subsidiary protection status, which therefore means that refugees will not be able to join their family members with non-refugee statuses. As Olivia's mentioned, the Nationality and Borders Bill after Brexit has allowed the United Kingdom to enact harsher policies and a severely restrictive asylum system. I agree too. Brexit is a significant factor in the increase of English Channel crossings and the ethical implications, such as the disasters of the journey, which were attached to it. As previously exemplified by Jacobs, Brexit led to the increased surveillance of the Channel to protect British borders, yet disregards the Channel as the most viable option for migrants to enter the UK, desperate for a better life through the economic, personal, cultural and environmental pull factors. I think this as well. Brexit has created labour shortages in some sectors, particularly in agriculture, hospitality and healthcare. This has led to some employers actively recruiting migrants from the EU and beyond. In addition to this, the UK has historical and cultural ties with many countries around the world, which makes it an attractive destination for migrants who are looking to start a new life in a foreign country. And on that note, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you for listening.